0: Welcome back to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. I'm Brandon Adams, and on today's show, we have Lewis Foreman. Lewis was a young entrepreneur back in his day as well. Back when he was in college, his sophomore year, he started a company. It was a company that sold lacrosse equipment and also they started doing screen printing, which by the time he graduated from college, it was the 24th largest screen printing company in the United States. Talk about an awesome accomplishment to achieve right as you graduate. So we talk about the process, how he built that up, and he actually went on to sell that company and started another company. He went down to Charlotte, North Carolina, and he started a NASCAR apparel company. Within 18 months, they generated up to $20 million in sales, and he actually sold that company as well. We discuss what he learned from them two companies and from his experience of selling them and um, what it takes to build up a company like that. And after that, we talk about where he's at today. He loves to invent products and help others with taking their products to market. His company, Edison Nation, allows others they can submit their idea to them. They will assist with them to see if the idea is right and if it can actually make it. And if it is, they'll help them take it to market and get a licensing deal with the relationships they have gained. So Edison Nation is a great place for developing ideas, products. They have an awesome team there. It's uh, There's a lot to learn from this company. And also, they have an Emmy award-winning show, Everyday Edisons. They're on season five right now. So what the show consists of is people who have an idea they come on the show they show how to develop the idea and then what they do is at the end they try to get them a deal to sell their product on the market. We discuss everything about this show, how we got it to be the great show it is today and everything he's learned from it and Then we'll go into detail about the innovation Act like we've talked about before, how it's harmful for inventors, how it hurts our country we talk about licensing then we go into crowdfunding, his thoughts on the advantages and disadvantages of taking your product to market through crowdfunding. There's a lot of things in today's show. It's jam-packed full of great stuff. You're not going to miss it. But before we get started, I want to do a shout-out to our sponsor, Arctic Stick. Arctic Stick is a new, innovative product that both cools and flavors your bottled beverage. You simply pop the top, fill for your desired liquid, and freeze. You can drop into your drink to keep colder longer or just simply twist and drop in for a flavor burst. I go to the gym a lot. I like to work out. I don't know about you guys, but I don't like having a warm beverage. I drop in my Arctic stick. It keeps it cold throughout the whole workout. Not only that, I'll have some of these filled full of my own energy supplements. In the middle of my workout, if I need an energy boost, I'll pop the top, take a shot. It's easy as that. It's a great product. You need to check it out check it out at arcticstick.com. That's www.arcticstick.com. And now let's jump in today's show with Lewis Foreman. Let's get started. Welcome back to the University of Young Entrepreneurs. I'm Brandon Adams, and on today's show, we have a rock star when it comes to the inventing world. How you doing, Lewis?
1: Well, thank you, Brandon. I, I appreciate that lead-up. Uh, I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm necessarily a rock star, but uh, I'm, I'm an inventor and an entrepreneur and very passionate about both of those topics.
0: Well, I mean, after looking at your track record, everything you've done – I mean, it's amazing what you have accomplished, and you're not only achieving great things yourself, but you're helping others achieve great things. So, we'll jump right into it. I want to hear about where you got started as an inventor and entrepreneur.
1: Well, my, my journey really began in college. Uh, I was a, uh, a sophomore at the University of Illinois. I played lacrosse and we didn't have a local supplier of equipment. And I was taking economics that semester and I learned about supply and demand. And I learned that when there's demand for a product or a service and no one's fulfilling that demand, there should be a business opportunity. So armed with the knowledge that I had learned in school, I figured, why not start my first company? And so out of my fraternity room my sophomore year, I started my first entrepreneurial venture
0: nice that's awesome and look by the way that's awesome on the lacrosse I played a little rugby in college but uh, they're both a rough sport
1: <laughs> They are um, you know fortunately lacrosse has
0: a lot more equipment than rugby so yeah it was, uh, it was a little bit more lucrative <laughs> in terms of a business
1: opportunity but you know in, in business you learn very quickly about satisfying what your customer is looking for and, and what started out you know just selling lacrosse equipment, evolved into selling screen-printed and embroidered apparel to teams and then eventually to fraternities and sororities and local businesses. And by the time I left college, I had the 24th largest screen-printing company in the United States.
0: Wow. Oh, my. So right in college, right in your actual fraternity room, you came up with this idea to sell this equipment and you just kind of went from there?
1: That's right. And, you know, college is a wonderful time to experiment and to start businesses because you have a built-in safety net. The risks are much lower. You don't have a mortgage, you don't have car payments, you don't have a family. And the way I looked at it is the worst thing that could happen if I failed with my business in college, I would just graduate, get a real job like everybody else. <laughs>
0: yeah I uh, I agree with you there the college atmosphere what I loved about it is the fact that you had support too from the university and I'm big on using the resources that are there for free and when I came up with my own idea Arctic stick, I used everything I could because it's expensive when you get in the real world not only I mean for your own business but you got to get a house and you got everything else to pay for.
1: Yeah, I'll tell you. College is just a great time to to try because you're right. The the resources are there, not only you know professors, but there's students, there's low rent, um, all sorts of development and design and marketing resources. And you know, the worst thing that happens is if you fail, you learn from that experience and you try it again.
0: So, me being a college background, I graduated from college, and you did too. Tell me your views on how education is being portrayed today, how things are being taught. and My belief is you need more real-world experiences because I don't feel like they're giving you enough of that and preparing you for the real world in life. Now, I don't know how you view that, but that's another reason why I've done this podcast, to help other entrepreneurs get the real stuff, the experience from people like you.
1: Yeah, you know, real hands-on experience is, is really the greatest lesson that you can get. Um, learning from textbooks, learning from case studies is, is certainly helpful, but actually getting your hands dirty, rolling up your sleeves, and kind of diving right in, you learn so much more from that type of experience. And so whether you're starting a business in college or, or even just interning over the summer uh, with an entrepreneurial business, what you learn is just incredibly valuable.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. So tell me, with your company there, you said you took that to be one of the largest in the nation?
1: Yeah, so the um, the screen printing business that I started in college um, grew it to the 24th largest in the country. I sold that company in 1995, and then I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to start a NASCAR apparel company. Uh, NASCAR racing was growing, and if you were going to be in that sport, being in North Carolina made, you know, strategic sense. And so I moved a dozen of my best employees with me from Illinois, and we set up operations in November of 95. And within, you know, 18 months, we were doing $20 million in sales. And then eventually, I sold the company to a public company.
0: Wow. you So two companies, you went the first one, you built it up, and you sold it. And then even the NASCAR one, you did the same thing.
1: Yeah, you know, I've, when I was younger, um, my, my first businesses, I really focused on kind of building the infrastructure, growing the revenue, and then exiting those businesses. Uh, but today, in the companies that I've, I've created, uh, it's really more about creating value uh, and, and creating additional resources within the company. And so I'm not as eager to sell these businesses uh, and really focus on creating kind of mini-exit events through the products that we develop.
0: So let me, let me ask you, for the companies, let's take, for example, the first company that you started, what were the key points for you to build up that company and what did you learn from the experience of selling it?
1: Well you know I think in terms of building a company you've got to create value for your customers so it's not about you know just creating something that that you are interested in you've got to create something that others see value in and you always need to be looking at ways to create diversification for the business to be able to provide more products more services to your customers sometimes you know entrepreneurs are focused on growing sales by adding more customers A lot of times it's just easier to find ways to sell more to the same customers you already have and so we look to diversify those businesses but you know at some point as an entrepreneur you may decide that you're really not a good manager uh, that you're more of a visionary that you like starting the businesses and growing the business but not necessarily running the day-to-day operations of the business and so with my first companies you know I quite honestly I got bored you know I, I built them to a point where they you know, we're no longer experiencing kind of the explosive growth, and it was better to turn it over to professional managers to run the business.
0: Yeah, that is uh, – I guess some people, they get that rush of the building up the business, and once they get to that point, there's no more, I guess, looking forward. There's nothing more bigger that you can do with it
1: well and we've we've eliminated that quite a bit now with with the, the new companies that i have that i started 15 years ago inventus and edison nation and edison nation medical because in essence we're we're creating new products new businesses every single week and so there's always the thrill of creating and building something new and those exit events occur from you're not selling the whole company it's licensing those products off to other companies right and creating the annuity streams that continue to pay out for years and years to come.
0: It's like you got a new venture every day, but it's through the same companies. And before we jump into your companies, which there's some awesome stuff here, I want to hear you, what what products have you invented and taken to market from your experiences? What have you, uh, your first inventions over the years?
1: wow so it's a pretty long list um our company we've got you know over 700 patents that we've been involved in the development the licensing the commercialization and monetization but my earliest patents go back to sports protective products Uh, very early on i had developed technologies for. Uh, soccer shin guards and baseball forearm guards and baseball batters guards that provided a higher level of impact dispersion uh, than what was currently available. And you know, if you watch a major league baseball game, you know, any day of the week and you see the players getting up there with the you know the guards that they wear on their forearm, or the the batter's leg guards that they wear, you know, so they don't follow a pitch off of their foot. That's all based on the original technology that I developed and licensed to companies like Nike and Rawlings and Adidas and others.
0: Oh wow! So you decided to take the licensing approach, and did that work out well for you in terms of that route?
1: It, it does, you know what i believe is is that you know my company is really good at invention we're good at taking ideas and turning ideas into products what we don't do is we don't manufacture, we don't distribute, we don't market. There are other companies out there that have very good brands, good distribution, and they've got good marketing. And so in our ecosystem of invention, our job is to come up with that great idea and turn that idea into a great product. But then we license the product to another company who will then put their brand on it, manufacture the product, and distribute it to retailers and ultimately to the end user. And so in many respects, you could say we're a non-practicing entity, an NPE in the sense that we don't make anything, but we rely on intellectual property and patents to protect the ideas that we come up with.
0: So what what would you say the chances of somebody, uh, just a regular inventor like me that goes out and has an idea, what are the chances of landing a licensing deal with a big company.
1: Well, it's definitely possible. Um, you know, I would say today, Brandon, we're, we're in almost a renaissance period of invention. You know, there, there used to be this belief that you know ideas had to be invented by the companies that manufactured it. There was this not invented here mentality that, you know, companies didn't want to look outside to ideas from outside inventors. But that's all changed with the Internet. It's changed with, you know, kind of the concept of open innovation that was coined by Henry Chesborough uh, and really pioneered by Procter & Gamble, where today, companies are willing to look for ideas outside of their own walls. And they're willing to License those ideas if those ideas are protected by patents. So today it is much easier for inventors to kind of get their ideas licensed The problem is that sometimes inventors don't have the time or the resources or the expertise to either develop their idea to the point where it can be licensed or they're not good at the negotiations or finding their way into the front door of a company, and so that's why you know companies like Edison Nation, um, we provide I think a valuable resource to inventors because we're able to help them take their idea and get their idea
0: licensed. So i, I took take I took a look at everything you got going on at Edison Nation and Inventees, and it is uh, it's awesome. I I don't know if I had told you this, but I actually at one time I had planned on actually starting my own product development company. Because I just was exhilarated by the idea, the fact that when you take an idea from somebody right down on a piece of napkin and they actually turn it into a tangible product and it comes to life, the whole process is, it it's just, you have to do it to understand it. I know you understand it, but the feeling of it, it's its awesome. So you guys have a, a, a crew that puts everything together, so you guys Basically you you perfect the product, people come to you, what kind of do you have anybody come to you? Is it just somebody with an idea in their head and they say, hey, this is what it is? or is there people that are more advanced? We see all sorts of ideas and
1: individuals in all different kind of shapes, sizes and levels of sophistication. So on the inventive side of our business, which we started back in two thousand one. That's your typical fee for service product design firm. Uh, We operate out of a 30,000 square foot facility where it's filled with industrial designers and mechanical engineers and marketing people and branding people and prototyping resources. We have six different types of 3D printers in the building. And we typically work with companies or individuals who come to us who have decided that they want to bring their product to market themselves or Big companies who need our development resources, and so that that's a resource that we provide uh, for for individuals and for companies. But what we found is that a lot of the people who are coming to us needed our help, but they didn't necessarily want to hire us. They just wanted us to kind of help them and maybe share in the success. And that's why we created the TV show Everyday Edisons on PBS to show that process, to show how you go from that sketch on a napkin to the store shelf without humiliating people, without throwing people off of an island, uh, and without dashing their dreams. And so the success of the TV show eventually led us to launching Edison Nation and then just recently Edison Nation
0: Medical. So this TV show, which is awesome, by the way, I I think I'd be a great participant for it. uh, I've done uh, a pilot run of a TV show before, and I've tried for Shark Tank, but I like how you guys show the whole process of developing the product, which people need to see. Most people, they think that this can be done in months when it takes years. I mean, on average, I, I think it's like three to five years to take your product to market, and it's difficult. And the biggest issue, which you see, is financing most people don't have the money so you're telling me that you you guys like to partner with others and share basically they share a percentage when you take it to market
1: yeah you know we we believe in in something very simple and that is that everybody has a great idea so everyone who's listening to this podcast everyone that you come into contact with at some point in their life is going to have a great idea the problem is most people never follow through with those ideas and they don't follow through with the ideas because life gets in the way they realize they don't have the time to pursue it maybe they have a full-time job or they don't have the financial resources because You know, they haven't saved enough or they don't want to blow their kid's college education. Or in many cases, they just don't understand the process. You know, how do you file a patent? How do you build a prototype? And so what we created through the TV show in Edison Nation is a trusted resource where an inventor, anybody, can submit their idea confidentially to us online at EdisonNation.com. And our team of analysts will review that idea, we'll vet it, we'll do a prior art search, we'll determine the patentability and the manufacturability of it, and then our job is to try to license that product to a major company. If we're successful, then we share in whatever proceeds are extracted from the invention. But if we fail, it doesn't cost the inventor anything so we, we don't sell any services to the inventor we don't ask them for hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars and so we go to sleep at night knowing that we haven't you know we haven't destroyed someone's family we haven't you know drained their bank accounts but at the same time if we're successful we've made their dream come true that... and so getting fifty percent of something is a whole lot better than a hundred percent of nothing
0: that... I love your approach, and not many people take that approach. I mean, I, I've toured different product development companies and factories, and, I mean, you're solving that problem because most people don't have the money. They come to you, they have this great idea, they're excited, they want their dreams come true, but they just don't know how they're going to pay for an engineer, pay for a prototype, everything. So tell me... Well, you've, you've
1: gone through it, Brandon, and you know how expensive the product development oh. process is. And and the reality is, is that... Even after you spend all that money, there's no guarantee that you're going to succeed with the product, right? You could spend money on tooling and inventory, and then all of a sudden, the product doesn't do well. And so what we've tried to do is eliminate the risk in the product development process for those who don't want to be entrepreneurs. Look. there's there's a segment of our population, it's about 12% of the U.S. working population who are entrepreneurs. They're the individuals who understand risk and reward and they're willing to go and bet the ranch on their idea. But that means 88% of the U.S. working population is risk averse. And it's not that they don't have great ideas, it's just that when they have that great idea, they don't want to start a company around it. And so all we've tried to do is provide another opportunity for individuals who have great ideas without them having to lose their shirt in the process.
0: And what you're also doing is, I believe, if they send you their idea and you guys see it being really too financial where it's not going to be effective on the market, you're you're letting them fail fast so they don't spend all that time, effort, and money going in a route that's not going to take them anywhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, what, what we're trying to do is we're trying to give someone
0: an honest appraisal of yes. their ideas. So, you know, when, when you watch a show like
1: like um um Antiques Roadshow, um versus Shark Tank, let's say. Yeah. Antiques Roadshow, when you bring that, you know, you, you've got this old antique in your house that uh, that you're not sure maybe it's valuable or maybe you should just throw it away, you don't want to like miss the opportunity to cash in on it but at the same time you don't want to throw it away if it actually had value and so when you bring it to be appraised they don't look at it and say "Ooh, that's worth a lot of money but i'm going to tell you it's worth nothing and try stealing it from you they tell you it's worth a lot and they they help you extract that value and that's what we're doing you know with edison nation is that if we believe there's value in the idea we're going to partner with you on that idea. We're not going to, to try taking the idea and lowballing you and say, you know, I want 90% of your business or your idea for for a dollar. What we're going to do is we're going to work together, and it's not going to cost you anything other than the time it takes for you to send us the idea.
0: I love it. It's it's a great route to take. I uh, So I, I guess you guys kind of take away the whole heartache aspect, but I was going to ask you if somebody were – to develop their idea and go through the process like I did, what do you see the biggest as a biggest obstacle for inventors throughout the whole process? When you're talking from ID in your head, doing the product development, and actually launching on the market, what is the biggest roadblock for most people?
1: Well, you know, there's
0: a lot of roadblocks. One of the roadblocks <laughs> is don't fall in love
1: with your idea.
0: Yeah, it's okay? so true. You can't be you. You're not the consumer.
1: Um, You may be the father, you know, or the mother of the idea, but there's got to be others that believe that, you know, the baby's beautiful besides just you. And so you've got to be willing to listen to criticism and listen to the market because just because you love it or your parents love the idea, doesn't mean that there's enough consumers out there who will buy it. So, so don't, don't get blinded by the fact that this is your first invention and that you have to follow through with it. The, the best advice that I can offer inventors is surround yourself with good and trusted people. This is a journey that you don't have to take by yourself. There are people out there who have traveled this road before, whether it's good marketing people or good patent attorneys or good, you know, accountants, or good salespeople. Surround yourself with people who can help you along the way and then you know the final destination, you know, is much more likely.
0: No, that's that's so true, and I actually there's a course I'm doing next week and I'm I'm developed this course to basically get people the knowledge what it takes to launch a product but the biggest thing i emphasize on is find an expert find people that have done it before and learn from them because if you've never done it before you have no idea what you're getting yourself into and i did not three years ago i sure learned fast and made a lot of mistakes that were costly but you need people like you or people that have been through the process to hold your hand and help you get that success rate you want you're absolutely right, uh, and that advice, in many cases, is free. So there are plenty of people who are willing to give of themselves yes. to help you avoid making those mistakes.
1: Almost every state has an inventor organization, uh, some sort of an inventor club or network, where the members you know provide their time to help you know people avoid making the same mistakes they made at some point. I was just. Uh, Two weeks ago in Philadelphia, speaking to a Philadelphia Inventors Organization, it's it's one of the country's oldest inventor clubs, and this is a group of volunteers that puts on these events. And again, it's about inspiring people to be creative, but also educating them in, on the process.
0: That's so true. I actually the Iowa Inventors group here. I last week in Entree Fest, we sat around and we talked about uh, product development, and also which I want to get into with you is. H.R. 9, the act that is currently <laughs> in legislation. Tell me how, if this is passed, how it's going to affect all of us. I mean, not only inventors, but it's going to affect how things are brought to market. It's going to discourage inventors, entrepreneurs. And you've been traveling to Washington, D.C. to talk on this. And I talked with Adam Mossoff last week, or it was two weeks ago. And I told him I'd even go there and speak because I'm an inventor and And I don't want everything I've worked for, all the money that I put towards, to be for nothing. So tell me what your thoughts are on this topic.
1: Well, you know, the patent system is under attack right now. Um, And last year I made 32 trips to Washington to meet with members
0: of Congress
1: to to make sure that they understood just how devastating um, the Innovation Act uh, which is the House Act could be to independent inventors and universities and small businesses. There are companies out there that, you know, obviously are on the wrong end of, um, you know, lawsuits. They're they're being sued because they're using someone else's intellectual property and they want to be able to use it for free and so they believe that by weakening the patent system that's going to spur innovation and I really I've got to disagree as would most experts would disagree patents and intellectual property are the incentive for us as inventors to go out and create so if if you want to build a house and you go out and you buy a piece of land, you're not going to start building on that land until you know that you've got title to that land.
0: Exactly. Because
1: if someone can just step in and say, you know what, sir, I, I know you've just built this beautiful house on that property, but you don't own that property. We're going to take that property away. You would never make that financial investment. And that's, that's the underlying value of a patent, is a patent is a property right that prevents others from making, using, or, or selling what you've created. And so without that incentive, uh, I think it just stifles innovation.
0: Yeah, it, it does. It shoots it down because if I – I've spent $15,000 uh, with a patent lawyer for trademarks and the actual patent. And for all that and everything I've done to go for nothing, if a company just came in and they had the right or there's no laws really against it, for them to just take my idea, well, what's the point even creating ideas then? Why? why? It, right. <laughs> so
1: Yeah, so, so patents are, are really that incentive for, for, for entrepreneurs, for inventors to go out and create. And so what, what HR9, the Innovation Act, does is it weakens the enforcement of patents. It makes it more difficult for a patent owner to defend its property rights. And so if you weaken patents, make it harder to enforce, you make it easier for people to infringe. And therefore, you take away a lot of the incentive to go out and create to begin with.
0: So what is the status of H.R. 9 right now? I mean...
1: You know, it's it's still being, you know, um, it's still in the House right now. Um, the The committee is, is working on trying to get it to the House floor, but, um, you know, it, it hasn't moved to the floor yet. Fortunately, we were able to... De- defeated last year in in the last Congress, uh, but it's back again, and the Senate also has what they call the Patent Act, uh, which is similar, maybe not as bad as H.R. 9, but again, would not be good for independent inventors. Probably the best legislation that's currently out there right now is the Strong Act, um, which is is also in the Senate, and it was... um, authored by um, Senator Chris Coons, that one really addresses probably the biggest problem that patent owners uh, or, or you know, the recipients of, of demand letters are faced with, and that is, you know, the, kind of these abusive demand letters that are being sent to small businesses uh, claiming that people are infringing, you know, or they're infringing on someone's patents.
0: So tell me, which this is pretty mark, remarkable, you were on stage September 16th, 2011. You were with President Obama on stage when they signed the American Invent Act into law, which I'm sure that was a great feeling to be there for that. Uh, tell me, what for the listeners, tell me what exactly that law does for inventors. What is, give a brief uh, outline of that
1: sure you know it it's hard to believe that it's uh it's been you know almost 4 years since AIA was signed into law by the president but really what the AIA did is it made patents more um It provided greater certainty around who the actual owner of a patent was. You know, we basically harmonized our system here in the U.S. with the rest of the world and went from a first-to-invent system to a first-inventor-to-file, which eliminated a lot of the, the, you know, uncertainty associated with who actually is the owner of a patent. So, you know, in, in the old system prior to AIA, an inventor could come up with an invention. They could, you know, scribble it in the notebook. They could kind of sit on it for a period of time. And in the meantime, someone else could have come up with the same idea, filed the patent, you know, wanted to go out and start a company and start manufacturing, and then all of a sudden you the inventor with the notebook steps out, you know, and says, uh uh-uh, uh, not so fast, I came up with this first. And so because of that, There was almost a chilling effect to innovation because people wanted to wait until patents issued before they actually started to create jobs. And so what we did is we we changed our system to harmonize with the rest of the world where now a patent is granted to the first inventor who files a patent which in many cases benefits the small inventor because we're more nimble. When we've got a great idea that we think has value, we'll go out, we'll protect that idea, and now we know we're first in line, that no one can kind of jump up and, and kind of step in front of us by saying, well, no, I invented that you know, months before you did.
0: Well, that's, that's good that's in place, and I can see where you mean by that because a lot of people – which I see all the time. People are like, well, I have this idea and I don't want to tell anybody and they wait until they actually have the patent until they even move forward with anything, which I, I never did. I mean, I, I let the world know because my thing is your idea is not going to get stole unless there's a lot of money being made where there's money. People want to d- jump in and take a, a piece of the pie. So I'm not too worried until I start getting a lot of sales, <laughs> but so let's, uh, I guess the one thing I want to, before we go to the next topic, I want to let others know, what can they do to help stop this right now, the HR9 Act? What can people do to contribute to help spread awareness of this?
1: Well, you know, that, that's a great question, Brandon, and I think, you know, in this situation, the lawmakers believe, you know, that the independent inventors are, you know, all for what they're trying to do, and, and, and it couldn't be any farther from the truth. The independent inventor community needs to step up. They need to make sure that they, whether they send an email or they call the office of their, you know, their representative or their senator, and make sure that they understand that, you know, we are not okay with, you know, weakening the patent system. There's a number of petitions. Um, Save the inventor is one of the petitions that's out there that recently, you know, gathered 10,000 signatures of independent inventors that were sent up to Congress to show, look, you know, this is not good for independent inventors. Universities have done the same. They've, you know, know, loudly voiced their, you know, opposition to, to these bills. But, you know, just... Speak up, you know, and, and be heard. And so whether you sign a petition or you send a letter off on your own, just make sure that your lawmakers understand that weakening the patent system is not good for inventors.
0: Yeah, and I mean myself, that's for one reason I want to get Adam Mossoff, get you on the show to be able to spread to my listeners. I've sent a letter to uh, the Senator Grassley. I've actually sent something. There was something in the newspaper, and they were trying to basically talk about a topic which wasn't strictly a hand and they ignored the whole HR9 Act. So I did a reply to that, which I hope goes in the register this week. And I'm just doing anything I can to let others know that this is BS. I mean, we need to do something about this.
1: And what you're doing is incredibly valuable. You know, as you know, the the independent inventor community is not well-organized. We're certainly not well-funded, not compared to the lobbyists out there who are trying to to get this legislation passed. So any small efforts that that we can do uh, to to educate lawmakers on the impact, the unintended consequences to independent inventors, uh, that's all good things
0: it all adds up, and there needs to be more people like us that are willing to, I mean, go speak in front of everybody and tell them our thoughts on it, because if we we can't stand for that, I mean, what's the point of us even doing innovation if they're going to take everything away from us?
1: Yeah, you know, all you have to do is just look around at the technologies you know, within 100 feet of you, whether it's your phone or your computer uh, or anything else, uh, all of it is based on invention. All those technologies exist today because someone went out and questioned why are things being done the way they're being done. And they came up with new and novel ways to improve upon what's out there. And they did it because they knew that their ideas would be protected for a period of time so they could recoup their investments. You know, if, if you're taking any sort of pharmaceutical product, you know, it, it costs over a billion dollars to launch a new drug. Why would any pharmaceutical company spend over a billion dollars to develop a new drug if a generic version of it could be created the day after?
0: That's so true. <laughs> it makes sense. That's a good way to put it. So, let's jump in. I want to talk about crowdfunding because this is this is changing the way products are taken to market and I've, I've done a crowdfunding campaign myself, and I've seen how hard it is. I've interviewed other companies that have done it, and uh, it, it's it's a whole new approach to taking products to market. So tell me your views about launching a new product through a crowdfunding site like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, Quirky, or anything like that. What advantages do you see, and what disadvantages do you see? I know them. I just want to hear your aspect of them. Sure.
1: Well, you mentioned earlier that, you know, sometimes the biggest obstacle for an inventor to get their product to market is having capital. And so what these crowdfunding sites have really done is they've made capital a little bit easier to obtain by pre-selling those products to consumers. That really accomplishes two things. You know, one, it may provide the inventor with the initial startup costs necessary to tool the product and to manufacture the product so they could deliver it. But more importantly, I think what these crowdfunding sites do is it validates. The demand. Yep. So, you know, I had said earlier that you know you don't want to fall in love with your product. That ultimately there needs to be a consumer. There needs to be a lot of consumers who believe that your baby is as beautiful as you do. And so, what these sites like Kickstarter and Indiegogo allow you to do is validate that, right? So people vote with their dollars. If they really like what you've created, they're willing to pre-order it. And armed with those sales now you've got the confidence to go forward and actually make the product and distribute the product. That's the advantage. The disadvantage is that if you don't hit your minimum funding level, you don't get the money. And so as a result, many entrepreneurs, many inventors will set the funding level low so they hit the threshold so they get the money, but maybe they don't get enough to actually manufacture the product and deliver it. And so there's this chasm between you know, kind of the minimum that they need to get funded and what it really is going to take to commercialize it, and if you fall within that chasm, the likelihood of not delivering or failing is much greater than if you've got a product that actually you know oversubscribes and you have plenty of dollars to make the product and fulfill
0: your sales. So you you spoke it very well there, and what I see crowdfunding doing is for one it allows you to fail fast. If there's no demand for your product, then people aren't gonna back it, and then you might as well just stop right there. Now, if you do have a successful campaign, you have a lot of backers, not only do you get feedback, you get customer feedback, real customer feedback, but you're getting a track record. For one, you could actually show and try to get a licensing deal with that. Say, hey, we already have a traction. These are the people that want our product, or use that money for manufacturing. But on the flip side, Which actually happened to me. So had a Kickstarter campaign, raised money. We uh, had backers in 25 states, 10 different countries. I mean, it was awesome. A lot of work. And then we bought this tooling and we got the tooling made and it ended up not producing the product that I wanted. It actually wasn't a functional product. Long story short, the tooling didn't work. And now I'm at ground one working with tooling in the U.S., whole new tooling. So what that goes to show is, if you don't raise enough money, you could raise this money in a campaign, and then it's not enough, and then you're back at square one. And you're like, what do I do now? I have all these backers that are on me, and they want the product, but they don't realize that I have to go raise more money. So right. that's again, the horror story for people.
1: Yourself, you got to surround yourself with people who have done it before, and yes. so you know these are these are those really painful tuition stories that, uh, that you want to try avoiding, but mm-hmm. you're getting a great education in the oh, process, yeah. development
0: process. No, it's a great education. And that's why I want to help others learn about the process more so they don't go into it. I mean, ignorant to the idea of what it all consists of because every day I'm still learning more. I mean, I, I consider myself very knowledgeable on it, but I'm still learning and I'm sure as you, you're probably still learning too because there's new things. When you're inventing, the waters are untraveled. I mean, you don't know what's out there. You learn as you go and you try to minimize your mistakes and eventually you'll see success. So that's, that's my thoughts on crowdfunding, which like I said, it's changing the way we're taking products to market. I want to go back to, which really fascinates me, you have, I mean, Edison or, or Everyday Edisons is an Emmy award-winning show, and you guys are in. Is it season five now? Correct?
1: Yeah, we've produced four seasons of the show, uh, and the shows can be watched on Hulu.com, and it's free to watch on Hulu for Everyday Edisons. And then we just finished shooting the pilot of our celebrity version of the show
0: called Celebrity Inc., which nice. is going to air in July. Uh, on Pop
1: Network. Uh, Pop Network is a new TV network launched by CBS and Lionsgate. And so uh, we will be launching Celebrity Inc. in July. And then hopefully, if, if uh, people really like that show, we'll, we'll go to series on that and then come back to season five of Everyday Edisons.
0: So you're going to have actual celebrities that have these ideas?
1: Yeah, well, no, the celebrities don't have the ideas. The, the way Celebrity Inc. works is that each episode you meet a famous celebrity who is looking for a product, and inventors pitch their ideas to the celebrity. So kind of imagine George Foreman looking for a grill. Yep. Right. So George Foreman's got a great brand, but he doesn't necessarily have a product. Someone shows him a grill, George puts his name on there, and a billion dollars of sales are generated off of that product. Well, that's what's happening with Celebrity Inc. And so the first episode, uh, the celebrity um, is looking for a product, and the inventors pitch their ideas, and ultimately there is a, uh, a match.
0: That's awesome. And you'll,
1: you'll see all that <laughs> unfold in July.
0: So you probably can't tell us uh, who the celebrities are, can you?
1: I don't think that it's been disclosed yet. <laughs> okay. um, I may be wrong, but... Um, Celebrity Inc. If, if you uh, if you look online, maybe you could find something. But uh, yeah, it, it will air in July. And as soon as they they give us the exact air dates and start running the the teaser promos, uh, I'll be able to share more.
0: Well, I'm looking forward but to watching that. done,
1: so it's finished. We 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 wrapped filming uh, a couple weeks ago, and the product looks
0: great. Oh, the pilot run just the whole filming process can be tiring it's it's crazy i mean i just from the time when i did a pilot run you have to keep doing the footage and people don't realize tv is a whole new story than what you actually see (laughs) but you're you're
1: absolutely right (laughs) um and and it's 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 a very it's it's a very long and enduring process so um we're, we're we're really pleased with the final product and and we hope that uh that viewers will agree
0: well, that's awesome. I, before we get going, I've got a few questions to ask you. I always ask and the big one is I'm always interested to hear is tell me what your biggest failure in business has been and how did you overcome it and what lessons did you learn from it? Because I believe failure really lets you know who you are as a person and you learn a lot from it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think, I think every entrepreneur fails. Um, failure is part of the process of innovation because if you're not failing, you're not taking enough risk, you're not reaching far enough, and, and quite honestly, you're never gonna uncover kind of the game-changing or disruptive innovations if you're afraid that you're gonna fail in the process. So the, the most important thing is that when you do fail, that one, you try to fail fast, but you learn from your mistakes, you figure out what the mistake was and then you solve that problem and and you move on. So, you know, I, I've certainly had failures over over my life. Um, you know, I think one of the earliest ones when I was, you know, starting a business in college was my belief that I could do anything and do everything. Yeah. And so, you know, here I had a business where we were focused on apparel and, and, and equipment. And we we had this crazy idea that we were going to sell these instant hand warmers at, you know, college football games. And so we ordered, you know, tens of thousands of these. They're those instant heat packs that you you smash and and then they warm up. And and I was going to sell them, you know, I got all my fraternity brothers to sell them outside the football games. And what should have been a season of, you know, 20 and 30 and 40 degree weather, Turned out to be an entire football season, being in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, <laughs> and so you know, my my entire investment, uh. uh you know, was wiped out in that product because we, we were never able to sell any of it that that whole year. And so the lesson that I learned is stick to what you do uh, and don't try to do everything.
0: That's that's good advice. That really good advice, and I've experienced that before. The next question is What three books would you suggest to other entrepreneurs?
1: Wow. You know, I'm going to, that's going to be a tough one for me to answer because although I do read a lot of books, I actually get a lot more, I guess. Uh, information and inspiration from business magazines, because they're, they're much more current and up-to-date, and they're, they're basically mini case studies. Yep. So, you know, although there's a lot of good books on kind of the flavor of the day, you know, philosophy of startups and entrepreneurship and innovation, I honestly get much more um, value out of just reading, you know, Forbes and Fortune and Inc and Fast Company and and all the different types of business magazines and industry trade journals, because then you, you learn about what's working out there in the marketplace. I mean, it's cutting edge. You're finding out what the latest startups are doing, how they're succeeding, how they're failing. And I think it's really important for entrepreneurs today to absolutely be current on what's happening in their industry. And a lot of times you can't get that from a book that was, you know, published a couple of years ago.
0: I agree. Yeah, it's, it's good to anything you can to learn about what's going on because you need to know that for whatever business you're in. Last question, what would be your top three tips for other inventors or entrepreneurs? What are your top three tips for success?
1: Well, you know, I think um, I think it really comes down to three Ps, right? The first one is you got to have passion. So you've got to be passionate about what you do, because that passion will be evident not only to your customers, but potential investors as well. So you really have to believe and be passionate about your idea, your business, your product. Second, you've got to be patient, because success rarely comes overnight. Uh, You've probably experienced this yourself. (laughs) You've got this... You know, Eureka moment, you think that you've captured lightning in a bottle and that the world is going to immediately beat a path down to your door to buy what you've created. But the reality is, is it's going to take much longer than you ever expected. And so during this process, you have to have patience because it's not going to happen overnight. And then the third P I would say is perseverance because life is going to throw obstacles at you. You are going to encounter all sorts of roadblocks and detours that are going to really make you question whether or not you're headed in the right direction. And so if you really believe in your idea, and if you're passionate about what you've created, and you've really done your research uh, to, to determine that this is a product that consumers are going to want, and you persevere through this process, then the likelihood of success is that much greater.
0: That's some good stuff. I like that. Well, hey, I, I appreciate you coming on the show, Lewis. Uh, tell me tell me where people can find you, uh, where they can contact you or your companies, or even if they want to do casting call for Everyday Edisons. Yes.
1: Yeah, so the, the best way to find me, uh, if you go to edisonnation.com, um, you know, Edison Nation is, is, is a... It's a marketplace of ideas, and it's it's much like Facebook in the sense that you friend people. So you know, once you go on Edison Nation, you can reach out and make me your friend, and that's an easy way to <laughs> to find me. Um, you can certainly contact me by email. Um, it's pretty easy to find me online if you just type in my name, Lewis Foreman, L O U I S F O R E M A N, or um, you know, just submit an idea to Edison Nation and. Um, you know, we've got a great team here that will review that idea, determine whether or not it's a good fit for us and hopefully, you know, some of the ideas will lead to big successes.
0: Well, hey, I appreciate it, man and I urge you all listeners to check it out everything that go they got going on. It's awesome, especially the TV show. That's amazing we got there. So, that's it for today's show and you know what time it is? It is time to go out there, create something great and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I'm Brandon Adams. Have a great day, everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's show with Lewis Foreman. Lewis has a great story to tell. I loved hearing his story. Everything he's experienced, everything he's accomplished over the years. So I really suggest if you guys have an idea, submit it to Edison Nation www.EdisonNation.com. It's free. All you do is submit your idea, and they can tell you if you have a great idea or not, if they think it can make it, and who knows? Maybe you'll have the next big million-dollar product that you can get on the market. So check that stuff out. You can also see I got additional notes on my website brandontadams.com, notes on the show and everything else. So go there, check that out. And also be ready to watch the show with Everyday Edisons they got with the celebrity appearances. It's gonna start, he said, in July. So on edisonnation.com, it has all the details on that as well. Also, I'm about to launch a course on product development and crowdfunding. I've been through the whole process. I've seen the pain. The biggest problem is lack of knowledge and lack of financing. It's it's tough. So that's why I put this course together. It tells you about the whole process, explains product development. I help you hands on with the whole process of product development, turning your idea into reality. And then also I show you how to get the money you need through crowdfunding, which if you do the campaign right, you can get the money you need and take your product on the market. So if you want to attend this course, if you're interested, for the listeners now that are interested in taking my course, I'll give you guys a 10% discount. Just send me an email at brandon at Let me know you're interested in the course. I'll give you that discount, and we'll get you started for the course coming up here soon. The seats are filling up quick, which doesn't surprise me because with crowdfunding right now, everybody's trying to take their idea to market, just not everybody knows how to do it. I will show you how. So check that out, and it'll be fun. I'm I'm excited to, to help others out there like me. So that's it for today's show. I hope you enjoyed it, and in the meantime, you know what time it is. It's time to go out there, create something great, and become unforgettable because life is too short not to. I'm Brennan Adams. Have a great day, everybody.